So hopefully if you guys are listening, the listeners out there, retirement is actually a lot easier than you think, right? It's that your whole perspective of thinking of retirement, of that saving that one, $2 million is flawed. You have to think about just how much you'll need on a monthly basis and how do you reach that? You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Hey everyone, it's Jose and Khadija Jafarji, and we are so pumped to have Casey Wong on the show today. We have known Casey for several years, and he has always been eager to share his experience and knowledge. Plus, he always has fun and exciting stories. Casey is a boots-on-the-ground kind of guy, and he self-manages his large portfolio of apartment buildings. He is so humble, with lots of real-life tips on how to grow and scale up, all while maintaining control over your assets for yourself and your partners. Recently, he and his partner, Jed, have also branched into some interesting projects involving land acquisition and development, but I'll let him tell you all about that. So here we go with Casey Wong. Hey, good afternoon, Casey. Uh, Welcome to the show. I am going to uh, just start off here by thanking you for uh, being here today and get right into it, if that's okay. So just to start, I think it'd be great for our listeners to learn a little bit about you. A lot of people already know you in the industry, but for those who don't, perhaps you could just give us a brief introduction about yourself, tell us a little bit about what you do and uh, anything else that you think that would be interesting about yourself. A um, little bit about myself. Well, grew up in, uh, we are just talking beforehand, uh, grew up in Malvern, went to uh, school there, um, went to University of Toronto in Scarborough. Then I did more corporate, started working at the banks and more pension consulting companies. And then, you know, didn't think that that was for me, that my, that, uh, that career path was for me. And then we started investing in real estate way back in 2003 is when we purchased our first um, triplex, downtown Toronto. And then it just grew from there. So 2003 is when we officially started. 2002 is when we start, you know, researching and all. Um, but right now we've grown, um, we've grown from that, um, since how many years from 2003 to now it's 2021, all those years. And now we're more in the multifamily space. Um, I got into property management, working for larger companies like Brookfield to Capreet as boutique property management companies. And then we're just growing from there now. It's, uh, moving into multifamily into something, some development, uh, some development plays right now, but overall, it's just we're just growing. It's it's just a constant change. Um, things that sort of evolve, business, uh, you know, kind of shift and pivot, things like that. It's just it's a way of life, right? <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, a, a quick little intro of I guess me and my background. Perfect. Uh, that's great, and we'll 
dive into some more details about some of the things that you mentioned. The next question I had for you was, what's something about you that you couldn't find on a Google search for your name? I couldn't find something about myself. Wow. Honestly, I don't really say too much. It's just our real estate stuff. And, um, oh, here's one. Good things about me. <laughs> I always find <laughs> negative. I, I know there's there's post-its on Reddit. Um, people were angry for me charging parking or the three cents thing. That's right. Uh, yep. That came up. Yeah, that, that actually came up with uh, w- with our bankers as well. And they kind of questioned and they kind of giggled on that. Um, but yeah, you know what? I think a lot, not a lot of positive stuff comes. Like when I, when I Google my name, I just, wow, all this negative stuff, which it's, which I'd like to highlight to my investors. I say, hey, yo, dude, if you get into real estate, this could be you. <laughs> so, so the bad things is like, um, I wish it was more good stuff. It's just that, People don't post good stuff, right? People always post the negative, right? So uh, there's a th- there's a three cents article in regards to me um, sending out the eviction notice about the N four um, to our new building that we purchased about two years ago, two two and a half years ago. Um, now we actually just normally send it out, like if it's a uh, something owing, we just send it out. Uh, I don't even, you know, my administrator does it. I just drop it off, or I just we just mail it out. Um, and then there was another incident where um, I was. Uh, I was actually taken to the tribunal by the by the tenant. Um, she actually had a parking space. It was actually the father had a parking spot, and she wanted two extra parking spots, so she wanted three in total. Um, and then I was going to give her a break. She said that there was stuff, you know, in her unit that she wanted fix, like to be fixed. So we changed out her entire carpet to um, to vinyl flooring redid her bathroom and things like that. And then she wasn't satisfied. And then she was actually calling me at, uh, during Christmas time, I was actually in Disney world with the kids, uh, the family, my wife and I, and then she kept on calling me and saying, it's not fair that I can't get parking. And then I was like, you know, it is what it is, right? You already have one parking spot. So all these negative things, she, she kept on pushing. She took a, she did a T T2 on me, took me to the LTB. I didn't even attend. She actually lost the case, even for me, not attending. Um, and then, uh, basically she goes, it's not fair that I have to pay a hundred dollars for parking for two extra spots. These are two extra spots, mind you. Okay. Um, sorry, sorry if I'm going a little tangent here, but, um, going back to your question (laughs) is that, yeah, all these negative things, uh, it's always, it always happens when you're, when you're quote unquote landlord, property manager, Absolutely. um, we can never do anything right. Right. Jose, you, you probably know it. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, you know. That's the that's the joys of being a a real estate investor and a landlord. Yeah. And especially you being a very active property manager on top of that. So you know, you're dealing with the the it's, it, the good yeah, it's and the crazy. bad. It's crazy. I will get um I'll get calls, I'll get texts late at night. I two, three o'clock in the morning. Um another another girl over at uh, my Linwood property. I did drive you to uh, uh we did drive over to uh to the Gulf property in Cambridge. And, um, you know, I do know these tenants, so I, I say them by name and then I, I show you Jose. And then these people are same thing. They want parking, extra parking, and then they want free parking on top of, um, their one parking space that's allowed. Right. And then you get texts two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. I sometimes look at it cause it kind of beeps, right. My phone's be- beside me. And then this is how I present it to my, to, to my investors. I go, this is what you get. <laughs> yeah, so a lot exactly. of the, a lot of my sort of, you know, friends and, um, colleagues and, even investors, 
they, they always say that, you know what, you yeah, can do the property absolutely. management. I don't want to deal with it. Uh, th- that's, that's part of this business, right? So um, going back to your question, uh, Khadija, is, yeah, I wish it was more positive when you Google my name, but it seems like it's always negative. And then you have to, you have to explain yourself, right, to, to people and say, um, okay, well, this three cents thing, this parking incident or angry, angry tenant there, or you, you can never, you can never quote unquote be right. So hundred percent. I mean, any large company, like a uh, large landlord, eventually you're going to keep getting negative reviews, right? That's right. Um, what I wanted to ask you is since you started in 2003 till now, and especially over the last 10 years or so, how has the multifamily industry changed? And besides the price, of course. How has the industry changed? Yeah. Industry. Um, there's a, more, a lot more competition. I find a lot of the people are upgrading faster now. Um, they're quote, quote, unquote, getting into my space, right? Before, we didn't have um, a lot of people buying 20, 30 unit buildings, 40 unit buildings. It just seems like there's a lot more people in it. It's a little bit crowded. Uh, it is pushing the valuations up. I know besides the price, but this is this is what we have to talk about is um, the price per unit or price per uh, for the building. It is getting pushed up. Uh, mind you, the cap rates are staying fairly the same, right? But I actually told my wife this as well, Judge. Uh, I go that we can't get. I get. I normally get caught up in the price per unit, and I, I called Jose a few times to say, "What? What is? What are you guys buying?" Like. It seems like because I bought at one hundred and seven thousand for the sixty-five unit, it's trading about two hundred thousand. So I bought that almost five years ago. It's almost double. So I bought it for seven million. Um, valuation is about uh, we got it appraised about eleven or twelve million. Um, I think I'm not sure what we can get on the market, but it seems like everybody's uh, pushing the valuation up, which essentially drives the cap rates down. Um, we do find that the cap rates has really compressed um, relative to Toronto. So Toronto's cap rate, if you want to do a, a quick comparison, probably about two and a half to three and a half percent ish, um, uh, like on a good, good property. And then, you know, Cambridge, Kitchen, Waterloo, uh, Hamilton, I know you're doing Hamilton as well. Uh, it should be around 4%, right? Three and a half, 375 to maybe 425 or 4, uh, 4.5%, which is the cap rate. And then you have not all the units are renovated. So you have some upside. You have some meat, quote unquote, meat on the bone, where you can turn it over and drive the rent, drive the rent up, essentially driving the cap rates back up. Um, but we find that a lot of people are, are are upgrading now. They're selling their duplexes, triplexes, single family homes, and now upgrading to the multifamily. And it just it just drives it just dri- really drives the price up. So um, I think our, our space is that that's why we're sort of pivoting and evolving in even what um what we're doing is that because that price per unit is getting so expensive i think it's almost it is in the 200 to 225,000 per unit we're looking at buying land which we have um and then build and then keep these for the long term so we can essentially let's navigate what i'm trying to do is that um i see that space is getting very uh crowded in a way that more people are getting in Price is getting expensive. So now we looked at um, in the GTA area, in the Toronto area, uh, Young and Steels is where I live. Young and Steels, Young and Finch area. We just bought Young and Steels, Jane and Teston in Vaughan. 
And then over at Canadian Steel, which is the Markham area, we bought um, just south of Pacific Mall. There's a, a Chinese medicinal uh, business there as well as a car wash there. We bought something there and then in Whippy as well. So we have four locations that we're looking at building. So the price per unit will probably be around 300 to let's say 350 per unit um, after it's built. So we will essentially keep it and rent it out. And then if you build, build new, your operating costs will be a lot lower. So normally we're operating at about 40 to 40 to 45% on, um, on revenue uh, on the expense side. When a new building is built, we should probably be running it at about 20% on that revenue side. So on the flip side, it's more expensive at 300 and let's say 350,000 per unit uh, after we build, your expense ratio will come down to about 20%. And then your rent obviously is not going to be as high, but your expense ratio, relative, relatively speaking, will be lower. So at least you can cash flow that over the long term. So that's what we're doing right now. It's, it's completely different. It's out of our quote-unquote comfort zone. Uh, everybody has their comfort zone. My, for me, my, my, my comfort zone is two two-and-a-half-story walk-ups. I know you heard about this. A lot of people have. Um, there's no elevators. It's a pitch roof if we can. Balconies. Uh, I'd rather have no balconies. I'd rather have just as windows and doors, and that's it, right? Um, so there's no uh, – mechanically, it's simple, simple to manage. It's almost managing like a house because all you have is – Domestic hot water, which is your, you know, taking a shower, your taps, your hot water, and you have your cold water, of course. And then you have your boiler um, to heat up the, the building and then your electrical. And that's it. Simple. So managing these two, ha- two and a half story walk up buildings is actually so simple that anybody can do it. Because if you've, if you've rented one single family home, you can jump into these multifamily space so easily because Really, you don't have uh, elevators, you don't have roofs, you don't have um, uh, uh, makeup air units, which is in the hallways, you don't have magic packs inside the units where you're doing AC and heating. These are all large buildings that you need a property manager to sometimes oversee because there's a lot of, quote unquote, a lot more work involved. Yeah. So, and, and of course, these are concrete construction, so yeah, solid. Solid buildings. So you can probably hear my uh, neighbor's dogs, but it, it, this this normalizes, humanizes this uh, this podcast. So, Absolutely, yeah. Um, we're in a situation where you know we're in we're in this COVID lockdown. It's nice that we can actually uh, uh, sort of see see each other like face to face or or through a screen, and then continue with business. Right? Exactly. Nothing really. Not, nothing really has uh, even changed for us in a way that. Um, uh, doing business as as landlords, it's a little bit more. You know, you have to stick handle with contractors and tenants and all. But I think overall, even during COVID, our business hasn't really slowed down. Um, it really has, to be honest with you, picked up in a way that there's there's deals out there that some people don't want to get into, uh, or or don't have the uh, the capital, the finances too. Um, but now. Even in this real estate, it's gone crazy. Where uh, single-family homes has gone skyrocketed. Like Jose, you're you're a real estate agent, right? Like you know, it's it's yeah, it's absolutely nuts. It's nuts out there. What, what um, nobody would think, have expected this to happen 
during yeah. the pandemic. Um, but yeah, <laughs> and and it's yeah, I, I, I kind of got the off North America, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Casey, um, yes. I wanted to ask you a next question. We we sort of talked a little bit about and you know people who have single families duplexes, how a lot of them are selling and moving into the multifamily space. And how the space is becoming more saturated. But for a lot of people, the entry into the multifamily space is also, I guess you could call it daunting. And it can also be seen as almost unreachable because of the capital that's required to get into the space. So as multifamily investors, we can speak to the fact that purchasing the property is one thing. Uh, maintaining, repositioning the property is also, uh, you know, quite capital and it can be quite capital intensive. And things can turn south very fast too, because of, you know, the scale of what you're doing. So I wanted to talk a little bit about money and uh, investors and a little bit about, you know, how is it that you maybe, maybe when you started and maybe even up until now, how you went about getting into the space in terms of uh, getting investors on board, raising capital, sort of what is, what is it that you would, you would, uh, you know, be willing to share about that? Well, yeah, of course. Definitely. Capital is one of the main things that will be a, um, uh, a stumbling block or something that would hinder somebody from getting into it because you do need capital. This, this business um, is, is capital intensive. Uh, skills, you can almost always, quote unquote, buy rent in a way uh, or hire, right? So the, the skill set, the property management, the engineers or anything, accountants, lawyers, you can always hire on a temporary basis. But it's really the capital. So what this means is that how are you going to show to these investors that you're capable of doing it? For me, it was actually showing our current projects. So we we didn't jump into uh, multifamily with investors right away. We did do, do it with the Hamilton properties uh, because I actually bought a 10plex on my own way back in 2004. Uh, I sort of jumped into a triplex right away. But when I did a triplex, I had no property management experience prior to that. I bought, um, I held, I learned, uh, you know, just learn as you go type of thing. But it's not difficult. It's not, um, it's, it's not rocket science. Um, finding a tenant, finding somebody to paint, finding a, a plumbers. There's so many plumbers or electricians out there. Um, so that's my, my stepping stone going into and then eventually going to the 10plex. But then I show my investors what I have done. So sometimes driving your investors out to these places, uh, to these um, secondary markets or tertiary type of markets, that's what you may have to do at the beginning. And I've done that. I said, hey, this is what I do. Um, this is the building that I own uh, with investors, or even without investors. Tour them around. They have, to be, they have to be comfortable with you to, be, to invest with you. Um, this is not a publicly traded company where uh, you're, you're investing in Facebook, Microsoft, or GM or Ford, that they know that the products are being driven around. You use Microsoft or you use Facebook. They know that. Um, when you say that, I own this property, but their question is that, yeah, do you really own it? Do you, what do you really do? What do you really know? That's what, you, that's what the investors want to see. The investors want to see, is my money being taken care of? How are you, um, if there is a problem with this tenant, how are you going to solve it? If there's a flood fire, um, some type of uh, um, catastrophe at that building, 
cops being called or fire department, things like that. Who's dealing with that and my investment, right? So they have to have that warm, fuzzy feeling. They have to know you. They have to know that uh, what you stand for or your business practices. So when you're driving them to the to these buildings, they're going to see you. They're, they're actually um, um, making sure that their property manager, which is me or Jose or whoever, is going to do the right thing to secure that uh, their, their principal, their investment. Then we do tell the investors, you know, a couple of years, it does take that for any kind of business to stabilize. It does take two years, three years, just to normalize that building. It may take five years until you start cash flowing. So it's not right away that you're going to see money um, in, in, in your business. So we tell them everything that, you know, things, what could go wrong. We have vacancies. We will have, quite a bit of vacancies because you're going to be a property manager that will give out those N4s on a regular basis. Do your hearings on the, you know, on the L1 hearing dates, um, go to evictions and things like that. So going through all that step with the investor, and it does take time. These investors are not going to invest all their life savings with you, unless you're, you know, your parents or your, uh, your relatives. And they'll say, okay, well, Jose, here's a million dollars, right? Uh, other than that, like most most people won't do that, right? They may have a million dollars, but they're only going to invest fifty thousand or hundred thousand with you, right? And if you can prove to them that you can run this business well, they will give you they will give you more. They'll invest more with you, right? So you 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 as an investor, you have to show it uh, through all this work, quote unquote, hard work then you can start, then they'll start trusting you more. Just like anything else, just like even my kids, like I, I don't trust them at the beginning, right? I don't trust them how to make, you know, a scrambled eggs. Like my kids are young here. It's like, or, you know, pour the milk, little five-year-olds, like you're going to, you're going to stand right behind them and you're going to help, you know, pour that milk or making pancakes for breakfast, things like that. You're just going to oversee, right? So it takes time until I can trust them that, Hey, I can let them go and do it themselves. Investors are the same way. And we are the same way as you know, you have to, you have to prove yourself first. So, uh, so I'm assuming that when you first started to work with the investors and raising capital, they just started off with a smaller amount. And over time, you know, they, they saw the return that you were providing them and they saw that you were, you you know, establishing a great track record. Then they started investing more and more. Right. Okay. So some of these investors, they're not, <clears throat> I have to say that some of, some of these investors, they're not, they're not small investors. Um, we may think that it's a quite a bit, like one person dropped 300,000. Didn't even see the property. He says here, Casey, uh, just 300,000. And I go, Hey, um, his name is Philip. I go, Philip, you want to see the property? No, I trust you. No, no, seriously. You want to see this property? <laughs> Cause like you're investing 300. Right. And he goes, no, that's fine. I'm okay. I'm comfortable. The thing is that when I started digging a little bit more, I actually met him for the first time. I didn't know like Jed, she does our um, investor relations and um, she, you know, make sure that everything is, you know, the KYC is filled out and all. Um, he, he invested in properties before he did the property management. Then he grew his business to uh, essentially multi-million dollars. Um, and this is only 300,000. So 300,000 wasn't a lot for him. He said, here's a check. 
Casey, take it and run, right? And I took it and ran and I bought that 65 unit. But yes, they may seem like big, at that time, $300,000 was a lot of money to me. Um, but to him, it wasn't. It was literally, uh, I have to say, it was like, it seemed like it was pennies to him. Um, so he, so overall, like he invested in other projects. Um, but some of these people, they, they have a lot of money, but you have to, again, show them your experience. Um, and it's not, it's not like you have to be like completely open to them. Some of these people just want to see just the top level, make, making sure that they're, it's taken care of. They're not investing. Again, he probably invested probably 2% or 3% worth of his, of his net worth, right? Um, and how did he find us? Um, there's another question is that how do you find these people? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to ask you too. <laughs> yeah. How do you find these people? Honestly, um, he was just through the internet. He was, he looked us up. Um, that's a question for Jed actually, because it went through, uh, she, she was just on this, um, I think on this chat or something like that about investors. And she just posted something that, uh, we're, we, um, we, we had this property under contract and so on and so forth. And then she actually just turned him away. That's one, that's only one time that we found somebody on the internet. Um, other than that, most of these, most of these investors are family and friends and we just talk, we just say, Hey, you know, if you invested before, do you know any other three, you know, couple people that are interested, two, three people or that are interested in investing. Right. And it actually just snowballs from there. So we ask them two or three, and then a couple of them invest. And then we ask, Again, do you know any other people that would invest? So kind of, you know, it expands that way. Um, but really it's when I want to narrow it down, um, age bracket, it's probably going to be anywhere from about 45 to about 55 years old. Okay. They're going to be a professional or business owner. All right. Um, business owners, I have to say, is a lot easier than professionals. Professionals, I have to say, are completely... They, they like the nine to five. They like to stay in their corporate world. Um, we do have some lawyers that are investing um, and not too many doctors, not too many medical professionals. But when we, when I say lawyers and our, uh, accountants, um, they have this term called Tina. Have you heard of Tina? Tina is, there is no alternative. Okay. So some of these lawyers they can't invest in anything else but mutual funds or limited stocks that they can that can, they can invest in. And just across the street, one of our um, one of our friends, he's a lawyer, and he goes, he does, he knows Jed through uh, through work through PwC and um, Deloitte. Um, so Jed's an accountant; she's a, a CPA, CA. She's she was in tax for for many years, uh, and then. Obviously, her crowd is more accountants, lawyers, and tax professionals. So, you know, we talk to we talk to the accountants, we talk to the lawyers, and they always say there it's it's Tina. Like there is no alternative. They can't invest in stocks. They can't invest in uh, um, private investment where there's conflict of interest. So, what else can they do, right? And then when they when this person stumbled on uh, like our our development um, projects at Young and Steels and all. He goes, you know what? I can invest in this, right? Because it's it's private. Um, where he's getting right into right into the deal. Um, and for a lot of these lawyers, they 
there is no alternative in a way that they can invest in something that growth oriented um, besides their your traditional mutual funds, right? So these people do want to invest. Um, they do have the, the net worth there. They have probably a million to $2 million of cash sitting there. Um, but you have to present yourself in a way that you're reputable. You're, you have that experience, right? So yeah, going back, our, our age group is 45 to 55. 50, anything above 55, it gets a little bit older and they, they're playing it very, very safe. Uh, they don't have the time, these professionals or these business owners. Um, and they, the business owners are a lot easier because they understand the risk. Uh, they understand the quote, the, the business aspect of, um, of running something on your own. Right. So it does take time for them to, um, like they understand that, Hey, it's going to take five years to, to stabilize the building. It's going to, um, you know, you're going to run into, um, issues for the first couple of years. So you're going to, you know, you're not going to have cash distribution. Um, so all that is, um, makes the business owners usually a lot easier to, to persuade in a way, uh, to get into real estate, right. To invest in real estate. Yeah. I, I was going to ask yeah, you about take- your business relationship with your, uh, secret weapon. I, I want to call it and that's your wife, yeah. Jed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So everybody, everybody has somebody that, you know, um, does the things that they don't like to do. I, I don't like analyzing properties, right. Uh, on paper, um, she does all the quote unquote high level accounting. Uh, she does all the legal part of it. Um, strategically, she, uh, takes, makes sure that the financing is, is in order. All of that is, is necessary. So yeah. So basically what every, you do is just drive around and drink coffee. That's right. <laughs> that's I just drive around. To, my kids say that I just, daddy, you don't do anything. You didn't do anything. Uh, what am I supposed to do? Corny? Am I supposed to like dig a hole and fill it back up? Like, what do you think I do? <laughs> but I'm, I'm actually looking at a property tomorrow uh, in, in Kitchener. So uh, a townhouse complex. Um, so I'll have to do the inspection on that. And then I, we're doing a refi in our other buildings that, uh, that have to do another inspection. So, you know, minor things like that, like I, I enjoy doing, um, going to, uh, to the tenant board, doing all the hearings. I will deal with the tenant issues, contractors I deal with. Um, but that, I feel that that's, for me, that's easy. Like really it's not, uh, it's a no brainer for me. It's, it, it just comes with the territory, just doing property management. Um, but all the high level stuff as in strategy, where our company is going, uh, taking a look at the deals, like getting it from the agents out there or private, uh, private deals, uh, Jed, it, it goes through her first. And then she sort of tells me, go over there and sniff it out, quote unquote. Um, making sure that, you know, the numbers look good, right? So. Awesome. So I know you guys have uh, a big family too. Uh, We can relate. We have three little ones all under the age of five and it's busy. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how you make it work for yourselves in terms of balancing your family life, your work life, and what your business structure is. Do you guys have help? Do you have employees? How do you make everything happen? I mean, you guys are doing some amazing stuff. Yeah, it's so we have four kids. Uh, congrats on the five uh, on the, uh, the on the three kids under five. That's amazing. Uh, under five is is hard. So we do have four kids, 
13, 11, 9, and 4. Um, so yeah, how do we make it work and how do you juggle? Honestly, a lot of these things can be done on your phone now. Like it's It has gotten us so much easier. I think when we first started, cell phones, in 2003, yeah, we had cell phones. Um, but it wasn't like the ones that you have today. Um, you can't send emails or texts. Uh, you're calling people. Um, so a lot of the things back then was harder. It was a lot slower. Um, so how do you, how do you juggle this? This business is your business. Okay. You're going to make time for it. It, It's not most of the, I'm guessing most of your listeners here are, you know, work nine to five. Um, there's nothing wrong with it. I've done it. I actually like it. Um, Monday to Friday, nine to five, you've, essentially work for 40 hours for somebody else. Now it's your time after the five o'clock. So the five o'clock, six o'clock, whenever you get off work, you get home and so on and so forth. You should be hustling more for your business than others, than your job, right? I told this to my, um, I told this way back to my wife. I go, when I used to work at TD Asset Management, I was an investment specialist. I used to turn off my brain and go to work. Like, so I'll sit there, I'll be in a cubicle or whatever. And the job was so simple. After three months, you've learned everything. You don't have to learn anything more. So I can literally, it's, a, it's quote unquote, a brain dead job because they don't want you to think these are the products to sell. This is what you should be doing, right? If you think it slows down the process, right? So you don't think in a way, right? They want you to, to be, you know, if you flip burgers, you flip burgers. If you take orders, you take orders. If you make drinks, you make drinks. French fries, you put it in this little container and you pop it into the bag and you get it to the customer. Same thing with working at TD Asset Management. It's the same thing. These are the products. These are the people. This is your uh, target. What, what area do they fall into? And then sell it to them. Package it up and sell it to them. Same thing. So when you work for a company, it's it's it is brain dead in a way for me. My jobs was brain dead brain dead work, right? For read. me, right. But when you are done your job, you shouldn't you hustle more? Should should you be like like turning like watching YouTube or your sport? You, yeah, you you have to wind down. I understand that, but shouldn't you be looking at properties? Right when the when the day is done when you've done that grind for your employer, for your boss to make him rich. Shouldn't you get out there looking for properties, right? To improve yourself. Shouldn't you get educated, right? So that's, that's what we did in, in one year from 2002 to 2003 is that we hustled. Like we, I think it was every Wednesday, we'll be looking at properties. And then when we bought the property, the whole weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday was working at the property, even on the weeknights, Right. I would be doing the flooring. I did the painting. If a toilet had to be changed, I changed it. My first property, the uh, the sewer line cracked. It was an old clay sewer line, right? My contractor was augering it out. And, it, and then he goes, it's clogged. And then he goes, we have to get a plumber. I go, we rented the machine from Home Depot just down the street on Girard, right? This is over at uh, Dundas and Broadview. I go, we rented it. Like, step back. Let me do it. Just close your mouth, right, Jose? Like when you do it, when you auger like sewer lines, (laughs) close your mouth, right? Uh, If it splashes, as long as it doesn't go in your mouth, you're fine, right? So I go, stand back. Let me do it. So I'm in my dress pants and my, you know, you know, your 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 dress shirt, like after work at TD 
TD Asset Management. I'm like, let me do it. Like, if he doesn't want to do it, I'll do it. Right? So you hustle hard. Like, everybody needs to think that. Everybody has to think differently because you've worked hard nine to five, Monday to Friday. Now it's your time. When it's your time, you have to work harder than the time that you spent at your at your nine to fiver. Right? That's that's very well said. And and it's all about, you know, do whatever it takes to get it done because yeah. you have your you know, your your end vision in mind that you're doing this for a reason because you want to get out of this rat race, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, like, you see, now, now you're out of the rat race. You guys have achieved all this amazing success. What keeps you going? So tell me, tell us, tell our viewers, what is your vision for the next two years, <laughs> maybe 10 years? What is it that you want? What is your big why? What, what is it that keeps you waking up every day and, you know, doing what you guys do? <laughs> and I know, Honestly, I, I mean, this, this also relates to what you and your wife both want, because I know she's kind of the leading ship. She's a driver. She's a driver. Yeah. She's a driver. I'm basically just a passenger. She, she lets me go and then I, I go and run, you know, to the properties or whatever. Right. But yeah, what's our goal? Honestly, people ask that before. I don't have a specific goal. Like I actually leave it up to her. She goes, okay, she wants to expand the business. She wants to, you know, bring it to that level where she wants to create a REIT get these buildings like a two, 300 unit building. Um, and this is what she wants to do. Um, I'm okay with it either way. I'm fine. Um, I'm just, I'm just there for the ride. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Like I, I, to be honest with you, I don't have a specific goal. There's no, spe- there's, for me, there's no number as long as each business, each, each property is self-sufficient as in, it makes money on its own. I don't want another property to cover uh, a dog. Like a, you have a star that's earning money. You don't want that uh, star, that cash flowing property to cover a negative producing property. You want each property to be self-sufficient, financially uh, viable. So that's that's for me, is that each building has to make money. Each building um, has to make sense. So within that framework of uh, that business, if it's um, so, we have some metrics that we look at. How much is it making your your cap your cap rates, um, your overall revenue, so like overall revenue, making sure that the expense looks good. So if each business makes like each business as in each property, quote unquote, makes money, then I'm good, right? My goal is operational, so it has to make money. If it doesn't, don't do it. Or get rid of it. Or if you bought it and it's going sideways, make sure that you know you get it floating again, right? It's if it's sinking, you better make sure that it's working properly, right? Financially, doing, uh, uh, making money. So that's that's my sort of take on that. Um, yeah, it's, each person has their own uh, goals and aspirations or um, ambition. I'm 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 actually very risk adverse. Like when you. When you, I'm not sure if you, when you hear me talk, I, maybe I sound very, I don't know how you guys perceive me as being very ambitious or anything like that. I'm actually not quote unquote very ambitious. <laughs> I'm actually very lazy. <laughs> I'm, I'm not risk taking. I'm actually um, uh, risk adverse, right? So that's why I, I like real estate is that to be honest with you, it makes money so we don't have to work. Um, it has a safety net that 
it's not like working nine to five. It, it's not like your RESPs and your RSPs. It's not like the normal government telling you to work for, for 40 years and then get taxed at 30, 40%. And then when you retire, you still get taxed at 30, 40% when you turn into an UD or RIF. So I'm, I'm completely opposite to your mainstream person, right? I'm not sure if you saw this Instagram of mine. I said, you know, instead of th- thinking about saving up a one or $2 million, all you need is like four or $5,000. Like for me, I don't need a lot of money, right? I probably only need when your mortgage is paid off three to $4,000 is you'll be very, very comfortable. Right. Um, obviously now we have a bigger house and um, uh, kids are in private school. Our, our, our break even is a lot higher now. Right. But for most families out there um, or most people, you don't need a lot to retire. It's not, it's, it's very reachable. Right. So hopefully if you guys are listening, the listeners out there, um, retirement is actually a lot easier than you think. Right. It's that your whole perspective of thinking of retirement, of that saving that one, $2 million is flawed. You have to think about just how much you'll need on a monthly basis and how do you reach that? Yes. Right. Yeah. Hopefully that, uh, and, and yeah. And of course, uh, with real estate, you can fast track that. You don't have to yeah. work for 30, 40 years. You can do that in, you know, maybe even under 10 years uh, if, you, if you're very strategic. And, and so has there been any, quote unquote, dog properties over the last five years um, that you have, you know, you th- you know you've thinking about selling or you've, you've sold? Um, not really. The last five years was, do- was, was doing, like, we did very well. So I can't say the last five years. I, I know I told you guys know about that my Hamilton um, uh, problems. Um, that was the only quote unquote problems that I had in Hamilton. Um, in Hamilton, you know, if you're losing money and I, I couldn't turn it around, I was still working full time. Uh, I had a property manager that was you know you know screwing me. Um, that was my my only problem, uh, my only hiccup that I had when investing in real estate. Um, Rough neighborhood, bad property manager. Um, I wasn't overseeing it. But the, to answer your question, Jose, last five years, no. All of the all of my multifamily buildings are, you know, amazing, amazing, amazing. Yeah, we can relate to that because we also we had uh, a bunch of properties in Windsor, Ontario, and um, we sold all of those because same same reason they were in bad neighborhoods, and uh, we were too far away to keep a close eye on what's going on. Yeah. So that's the thing. It's like most people, when they first get started, they're going to, they're going to buy pretty much the worst location in a bad neighborhood because of the price is low. Right. All the bad, all those exactly. two things like yep. don't do buying a better location, buying a better neighborhood and don't buy just buying price. So your very first property, I have to say, do the exact opposite of what I just said. Okay. That's your first, because your first one will will uh, determine if you're going to continue, right? So if you can buy a decent yep. property in a good location, and yes, maybe you suffer in the cash flow a little bit, but now you're getting your game, like now you you got into the game, and you're you, you're getting yourself comfortable. Once once you get comfortable with that, then you can start upgrading. Then if you want, you can go to your uh, you know, I hate to say this, your Jane and Finch, your, um, you know, your, your quote unquote hoods, right. Your, uh, close to Toronto community housing. Right. And 
that's that's what if you want, you can do that, right? Uh, of course, your cash flow will be higher, but in the in in the in the flip side is that um, there's going to be a lot more work, right? So yeah, it's um, a lot of people fall into that trap because obviously that one thing holding them back is the cash, right? The capital. They don't have a lot of capital, 50,000, 100,000. They try to get the best they can. But honestly, save up a little bit more so you can get into the better location, get into the better property. Because if you, seriously, if you make a mistake, what, like, like how I, what the mistake that I made in Hamilton, it could, it could cost you quite a bit of money, right? Like for me, it was 500,000, right? Four, four to $500,000. So. Yeah, yeah, sorry, exactly. I, I, I talk a lot. Uh, so. That's a great point you for, guys can, uh, <laughs> especially first-time uh, beginner investors. Yeah. So, Casey, the next question I had for you is related to, I mean, you're such a humble guy. Uh, you make everything sound so easy, but uh, there must be sort of a, a million-dollar skill that you think that you have that, or that you've been able to cultivate that has allowed you to have so much success in real estate investing. Yeah. The million dollar skill, right? Yeah. I know what it is. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> what is it? It's actually just getting started and sticking with it. It's as simple as that. So it's not, it's not complicated. Most of these, the, the, these people starting off, let me. Um, I guess the, uh, it is taking action, right? It's, it's, yeah. It's just taking action. Like one of my friends, this is a, in high, like he's a high school friend, right? Uh, I'm not going to name his name. He's a very good friend of mine. Um, but he's not married, okay? Um, he lives with his parents still. He's 46 years old. And I told him, like, hey, dude, buy a property, rent it out. And he'd always say, no, it's too risky and so on and so forth. He'll stick with his stocks. And over time, so I started in 2003 till now. He hasn't bought a single property. He still lives at home. He's 46 years old. And Look at look at that. I, I I hate to compare it, but like, th- let's just compare. Like me and him, I bought property. I just waited for tenants to pay it off. He didn't. He bought he bought stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, right? And he just held that. He just kept on flipping stocks from like your BlackBerry uh, stock to your TD Bank to your whatever, earning three percent there, five percent there. Um, I'm not sure if he's in options or anything like that. Like. You you have to just take action. Once you once you do it, your investment properties will outperform any of these stocks or anything like that. Like I used to, I used to flip stocks as well in um, in university, ninety four to about ninety nine. Um, I made enough to pay off my OSAP, right? Like I have stories. I have so many stories, right? Yeah. <laughs> like when I was I, I was two thousand four, uh, no, nineteen ninety four, nineteen ninety nine. I was flipping stocks and. It was like from fourth. I only had three to four thousand uh, dollars in just that my last year. Um, t- this is called the dot com area. I'm not sure if you guys remember this. So I used to trade stocks in the uh, um, when gold was hot back then. Even in in uh, ninety three, ninety four, right when I started university, I started flipping gold stocks uh, to about ninety nine, and we had these the tech boom, which is the the dot com era, right? And I went from three to four thousand dollars to twenty-seven thousand dollars in six months. Okay. And it paid off with OSAP. And I was like, okay, I'm a genius. I'm the smartest guy in the world. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> and I was like, I was jumping around. I was like looking at my bank account at 27 G's. I was like, wow, I'm the 
tallest, most handsome guy in the whole world. I'm so smart and nobody else can do this but me. Then I started working and I still continued to flip stocks. And then my returns went down to like negative. So, and then I started losing money and I lost my parents' money, like a lot, little bit, probably about 7,000, not a lot, like five or 7,000. And then my wife's money. And then we, we invested in Nortel. So I had like, I'm not sure if you know about Briex, like that Briex scandal. I'm not sure how, Jose, how, how old are you? I'm not going to ask your wife, but how old are you? I'm 38. How, how old? 38. 38. Okay. So you know a little bit about what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah. Are, I know Nortel went uh, basically... Zero, zero, right? So like, I I was I was I was flipping like Briax stocks. I had Briax, I had uh, Nortel, and I had all these things, right? I was like, damn, I kept on losing money. I was like, after after that dot com era, so so going back, it's like, yeah, your stocks your stocks seems to be good at a very short time period, right? So if you can say that, oh, um, this uh, this guy Steve Patterson who who kind of um, he was on Matt McKeever's channel and he was saying that, uh, you know, I'm going to lose money and all. And then I go, yo, dude, it's like, um, you know, we should talk, right? Like I actually messaged, messaged him. Right. And I go, Hey, um, uh, Steve Patterson, uh, yo, what's your, what's your returns really like? Right. And he goes, Oh, the last 80, 80 trades. It was amazing. Right. It was like 80 trades or 120 trades. I go, but Steve, 80 trades, 120 trades was probably only three or four months, right? It's not long enough, right? So you can't say that your trades are great for just 80 trades or 120 trades because your time period is way too short. You're only three months, five months, or six months, that time frame. If you go and you trend over a, a time period of 10 years or 20 years, okay, you try to beat the real estate gains and what we do, right, Jose? You're not going to be able – they will never beat – these gains in real estate. That's why when you see all these people doing what, what they do, like your, your starlights, your skylines, they only invest in apartment buildings over the long term. Daniel Drimmer, I looked at his building about a month ago or two months ago. He was selling a portfolio of 105 units. This is in the Kitchen Waterloo, Cambridge area. I looked at all three of them and he still held those properties for, I think, 30 years. Okay. This is Daniel Drimmer, the large, one of the largest, um, REITs out there. Okay. This is Starlight. So he's selling it now or after 30 years. Okay. Put it this way. I think he, I think his sell price was about, I think 30 million, maybe. I'm not sure. It's, it's 225, 275, and 325 uh, over 105 units. So whatever that price is, let's say about 25 to $30 million, right? He held that for just 30 years, right? Compare that to my friend who just been flipping stocks for the last 20 years compared to what I did, right? Or this guy, Steve Patterson, what he's doing, what he's flipping, I don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's doing options or whatever. Like do it over the long term. Compare your returns with your stock trading to your real estate portfolio and see which one does better over the long term, over 10 years, okay? So if you're listening right now, if you can do that, if you can actually tell me that um, you're making 15, 20% year over year, over the long term, then you know what? I will give you my money, right? <laughs> if you can do 20%, 30%, I'll give you my money. I don't mind, right? I'll invest with you, right? But you have to guarantee me that you can make that money, right? You gotta, you're going to make that money. So that's, that's what I'm saying. Like when I compare even my friend, um, 
like he he's he's a good he's a high school friend. Um, I will always have his back. But you know, I told him buy a property, even if it's so close, even if it's in your backyard, a condo, rent it out. Okay, even if you're making negative cash flow, they get out there and do something, right? But you know, people don't listen, right? Even the closest friends won't listen to you because you know what? Do you listen to your parents, right? My kids won't listen to me because exactly. right? <laughs> I mean, dad, right? Your yeah. mom, right? You got to listen to outside people, right? Because they're smarter, right? But yeah, it's the people that that's closest to you. Most likely, you will not listen, right? I don't know. I, hey, again, I talk too much. So yeah, <laughs> you know the, the 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 great point that you made, and what made me realize this is uh, what I love about real estate investing is that it's illiquid, and and you have a much longer time horizon when you when you're buying a property, you're you're looking at it as a minimum, you know, five year play, right? It's not like a stock that you're gonna, you know, you're gonna look at it as a from a three year perspective. Just yeah, yeah. Happen. See, that's a great point, Jose. Touch upon that. Like, I like real estate because it is illiquid. I can't sell it right away. I don't want to sell it right away. People say that, oh, it's bad because it's illiquid. Uh, I want to be able to sell it right away. I want to be able to flip it in and out right away. The transaction cost is low. Honestly, dude, wrong perspective, man. If your long-term gain is liquidity, okay, you have a problem there. Okay, because you can get in and out so quickly. You should be thinking that, okay, it is so illiquid, okay, that I can't find another buyer, that I have to work with it. So what that means is that my due diligence has to be better. My, my, my judgment has to be better. I have to make sure that if I buy it, I can financially handle it. I can uh, do the property management for it. I can find the contractors, renovate it, and so on and so forth. There's so many aspects to this business. But yes, I want it to be illiquid. True, because now it ties me in like an RSP, like an RESP. That I'm going to have to hold it for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. When I hold it that long, 20 years, what the heck happened to it? It paid itself off. My tenants paid it off. So people think that, hey, yo, dude, it's illiquid, man. I can't can't buy an illiquid illiquid security. Okay, yo, dude, this is not for you, man. Because you know what? You're going to be working for the rest of your life. Like You're going to be working for 40 years, right? So. You know what? I'm not even going to talk to you anymore, man. Okay, go, go to go to work. All right. That's that's how I like to say to people: it's like, don't always think that illiquidity, like having a property that's illiquid, is bad. It's actually good. Okay, so good point, Jose. Yeah, it's, it's, he's so passionate. It's awesome. And yeah, you know, this is the thing with real estate investors: is that it almost boils your blood when people can't see. The benefit, yeah. because all you want to do is help them, right? All you want to do yeah. is for them to see the light so that they yeah. can get on board. Even if they're not yeah. investing with you, for them to just buy a property, yeah. do something, dude, right? Yeah. And you, you know what? Even, even your family, I have to say, Jose and uh, Khadija, it's, you guys are probably the, like in your family, amongst your you know relatives, your cousins and all, you're probably the only person or couple that's investing in real estate, right? Yes, we, we were. And okay. so luckily, over the last uh, just several years, uh, I got my brother in, on board and, and my sister on board as well, which is uh, took a lot of convincing. To, if they had invested or listened to me like five years before, because we, we started investing in 2007, uh, I bought my first property. So if they, if they had listened to me, you know, a lot earlier, they would be a lot further ahead. 
but but that's okay you know everybody and and, and yeah of course like there are several other family members that I've said the same thing hey just go buy a property or you know invest in real estate and It's crazy because Jose, you you probably tell them, don't listen to me. Go listen to somebody else, right? Go listen to this guy or this this gal. They won't listen to you, all right? Because you're the younger brother, you're the older brother. We they used to fight with you. They used to you know you know uh, take the remote from you or whatever, right? (laughs) You're not any smarter than they are. That's what they feel, right? So talking to fam like family member, it's it's I have to say it's it's kind of useless, right? You just do your thing. And then your your uh, your success will, will show for itself, right? So it's yeah, it, it is tough convincing your friends and your family to get on board. Hundred so. percent. Yeah. <laughs> so, Casey, I wanted to ask you uh, a little bit more about your mind. Like, you, why did you shift towards development, and and why not just continue with buying multifamilies? Is it because the returns weren't making sense or the cap rates compressing. Uh, what, what, what made you shift toward development? Cause I know you're big into that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's more of the cost. It seems like it's getting very expensive. That, that gap is narrowing. So your, your price to buy existing 1960s and seventies built. Um, so here's a quick little uh, rundown is 1960s. They built a lot of multifamily this is huge um, sort of boom in just multifamily. Uh, in 1980s, there's a housing boom, and then all the construction was in housing. This is in the Toronto area. Uh, outskirts as well, so your Kitchen, Waterloo, Cambridge, Hamilton, and all that was all in the outskirts as well. So you have your single-family homes in the 1980s and, and 1990s. And then it actually stopped. So your housing really uh, – sorry, your um, your condos and afterwards in 19. 19- uh, in the 2000s, you have your housing sprawl. It started going outwards. And then um, within the core of the city, uh, density started to to build. So you have a lot of condos. Um, so right now, a lot of condos being built. And it seems like it's in the core itself. It seems like it's been overbuilt, but it hasn't been because now immigration is going to flood back in. COVID, COVID sort of slowed it down um, in a way that... Um, you know, the, the demand of immigration, people coming into the country has kind of slowed down for the year or two years that this is happening, but it's going to have, it's going to have a demand after when COVID stops, the government's not going to say, Hey, um, uh, I'm going to let real estate go and jack up interest rates. It's, it's not, the government has to continue with growth the, the growth of GDP and the growth of immigration. So again, a lot of people is going to be flooding into the Toronto market in all the secondary markets after COVID um, sort of subsides. So what we see is that a lot of the pricing, I know it, when when I, I'm, we're kind of shifting from the multifamily to development, but our, our shift hasn't been that different because we're still building to keep, building to rent. So our... our um, a core value, a core holdings will still be the same. We're just essentially building because the cost structure has gone so high. So we're buying at three hundred thousand. Like let's say we're buying at two hundred thousand. If I can build at three hundred fifty thousand, or maybe three fifty to maybe four hundred ish, the rents are going to be higher, much higher in the Toronto area. So we're strategically we're we're strategically putting ourselves in a position where all the development is going to be 
uh, in the transit area, in the transit hubs. So when you take a look at why we're looking at uh, Young and Steels, Young and Steels is a major hub. So Young and Shepherd was supposed to be uh, a major hub. It can't be. Uh, Young and Finch was supposed to be, but they can't develop it. Uh, there's already the station there. Young and Steels um, is where we live right now, is going to be the next hub where TDC meets, um, I think, Metrolinx and all these areas. So you're going to have, um, there's a mall there. There's uh, transit going, going to be there. So we see that as buy first. Government's going to be coming because it's ready in the pipeline. We just heard from yesterday that uh, Ford and Trudeau is putting money into the transit. So bang, there's going to be a huge amount of demand in that area. Uh, Jane and Tessin, it's right beside the hospital. We're doing, um, I know uh, we had an off discussion to talk with Jose. It's going to be uh, affordable housing there um, in, in a different perspective of affordable housing. I know uh, it's, not the, it's not the same housing that uh, most people think. Then over at Kennedy Steels, uh, Kennedy Steels is the sort of quote cool, cool China, you know, northern Chinatown area-ish. It's a lot of Asian uh, people living there. So right uh, south of Pacific Mall and Market Village, there's a transit hub there too. So right there, um, there's a go train. Uh, there's a go train there, um, right at Kennedy Steels. It's literally a, I think it's a 200 meter walk. Um, so that too, we're buying like close to transit. So. Are we shifting? We are shifting in a way that I'm doing something that we've never done before, development. But the price point has gone so much. So in 1970s and 80s, there's these apartment buildings, the 20, 30, 40 unit buildings, they're getting so expensive where I'm looking at $200,000 per unit, $225. My rents, your, your rents could only push so high. So your rents are probably going to be 15, 16, 17, probably up to uh, 1900 ish Right, so if I get north of like two twenty five to two fifty per unit, it's around two hundred to two hundred twenty five per unit now. But your rents will not climb as fast as your prices. Okay, so think about that. It's not going to in these areas. It can't. It will not be able to support it. So just be careful when you're buying. Don't just buy. Hey, I'm just going to buy at two hundred fifty thousand per unit. It's going to get very expensive, and you will make money. But your break even or the time is not going to be five years. It could be seven years or eight years or nine years for you to start making good money on that property. So you're going to be pushing it that long. So how we see it as, so right now we're in this COVID uh, lockdown-ish area where um, immigration is hard and demand is is low. Uh, but we know that government's going to be pumping a lot of money into these areas. How do you want to stay ahead of these guys? right? Is that you're going to buy these land, you're going to develop it when the time is right. We wait until there's a few buildings built, then you build. But we're not building to sell, we're building to hold. And our exit strategy can be hold for 10, 20 years, or we can sell it to a REIT, right? To the starlights or the skylines out there. Once we stabilize the building, have it completely uh, occupied, um, 85, 95%, we can, we can turn it around and say, hey, you want to buy it for four hundred thousand per unit, right? Because they will, or four fifty, or five hundred thousand per unit. Because they need, they need quote unquote these products in a way that they need apartment buildings, right? And their mandate is never they cannot build, right? Starlights and skylines out there, they have that their 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 sole mandate is to buy and hold. They can only they would have to have another off uh, company where they can develop, right? So how we see this as you know what? 
it's getting expensive. Rents are going to be up in Toronto, and we know that. Um, buy in the right location. Uh, no, we're not buying condos, uh, individual condos. Um, we're buying strictly land, build, develop, um, or develop and build, and hold and see what happens, right? So everybody has, like, it was really stepping stones. Started from a triplex to the templex, um, to the rent to owns in Hamilton, uh, into, into Barry, into those problem areas in Hamilton. So everybody has their stepping stones. Everybody has their sort of growth, right? Within their themselves as well as their business. And sometimes you take on a little, like you, you take on a little outside of your comfort zone, right? And then say, okay, how do I manage this? Like get, get the people that, um, that can do this type of business. So we, we partnered up with a developer, right? Um, we're, we're partners in this and we, you know, have a good, um, like a 50, 50 split. And that's what you do, right? If you don't understand it, partner with somebody that can and give him the, the profit and the loss. Right. So he's, he's in it with us. He's side by side. Um, his name is Majid from Terrabona. Um, but, um, he gets 50, 50, right? We may be the money partners on this, but Hey, um, it's great for him, right? And for and for us, of course. So, sorry, was that your question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you 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 touched on so many different points. Um, uh, so, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Uh, you've so you've got a total of four land pieces of yeah, right have, now. Yeah, so we have a total of four pieces of land right now, and some of these are um, they're. <laughs> Like I, I find it expensive, right? And just raising the capital for these. Um, it, it, development is not, it's completely different from multifamily. So if you guys are getting into development, land development, it's a shark. These, you're in the shark tank, I have to say. These people would, like I had a, a lender try to steal, a young and steals. His name, I'm not gonna, I'll, I'll be frank with you. Like, like, um, Oh man, I, I almost did yep. my mind. Um, Alfred, yeah. Alfred Tong, okay, Alfred Tong. This guy, like these guys, are my goodness, they're vultures, man. Um, if we couldn't come up with the money for this second, like it was a, a little piece of this house, right? Um, come up with one million dollars in a, in one month, he would have taken two both properties, right? It, it was in the clause, so he could have he had the right to do that, right? Um, but he didn't, he didn't know that we had money, right? So I go, okay, fine. If he doesn't, if he's going to do this, he's going to play this game. Jed and I were like, let's get this money out, right? Refinance a couple of our properties, take out the million, get them out, right? So they're vultures. So you have to be careful in the development play. Um, we're going through a lawsuit with uh, this other gentleman who's a, who's a doctor. We had his call with our lawyer today um, over at um, Eglinton and Danforth. Okay, there's another property that we tied up, and then this doctor, seriously, he doesn't. Have, it, it's absolutely crazy. A doctor uh, couldn't give us all the information before um, before we firmed up. Um, and what was it? See, Jet should be on this call because she knows everything uh, on this. But basically, it's this: is that he couldn't give us. Um, it wasn't clear. It wasn't free and clear. He had two second and third mortgages on this property. Uh, couldn't pay them out. Uh, we couldn't get financing because of that. We actually did have financing, but 
it wasn't free and clear. Uh, the property was, um, there's a break and enter. All of the equipment and all the copper was stolen. So it was hard for us to get um, insurance. So this is a doctor. And then there's, there's so many conditions that he couldn't meet. We're the buyers, okay? We just say, hey, we want to close this property. It's a good location. But he couldn't fulfill his his side of the uh, um, of the deal. So we had to walk away and said, give us our, our deposit back. But he's holding half a million dollars from us. So yes, it's it's a little crazy. The the develop sort of the this land development um, sort of arena. It's it's uh, it is a cutthroat area, which I actually don't like doing because a multifamily is actually so much easier. So Majid from Terrabona, he does all that. Um, so his like kudos to him if he can do it, go do it, right? Yeah, and and um, I mean the the other part about uh, land development is. You know, you got to wait a couple of years before you're getting any cash flow. That's right. And, and you're bleeding large amounts of cash flow uh, every month to service yeah. these acquisitions. And, and you're at the mercy of uh, the city's approval process, and which is what I personally am very frustrated with. But Yeah, yeah. Working with the city, like doing land development is, is um, you do need the deep pockets. So you need... Honestly, for, for all these four properties, you need half a million to a million just sitting there cash to pay people, um, your engineers, your consultants and things like that. Um, but yeah, you need deep pockets and it's com- it's a completely different ballgame. It, it's nothing, it's not even close to being multifamily, where when you buy multifamily, you have people, tenants paying you on a monthly basis. You can cover your mortgage payments and all. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it is a learning curve. And you have to have deep pockets. Of course, some of these some of these deals are amazing because Majid he's good. So when we bought Young and Steels, we bought it for eleven million. I believe right now, um, I think it's valued at maybe nineteen million. Um, so just on just on getting the density up right now, I don't think we did anything. I think it's uh, I think it's at nineteen million because we just bought two parcels of land. It's this is right beside uh, Golden Star Burgers. Um, so if you can get the density up, it really pushes it up. Right. Um, so yeah, but the only, if, if you, for the listeners out there, um, start off with the multifamily, right. That your duplex or triplex do, um, do something that you can handle, right. It doesn't have to be two, three, four, five hours away. It doesn't have to be Windsor. Uh, it can be just in your backyard. Like I started, we started off with a triplex. We lived in this bungalow here at Young and Steels um, since 2006, and just recently, 2019. So you guys called it house hacking. Uh, I just called it renting out my basement. I just rented out my basement for what is that? Uh, 13 years. 13 years. I rented out my basement, right? And we laugh with the kids here. I go, hey, hey, stop screaming. The tenants are gonna complain. <laughs> I said. Not so loud, right? Because they're so used to me saying that. Because the tenants would complain. They'll say, hey, hey, like, keep your kids down, right? And it's it's crazy. Like, it's this is what we did. Like, this is, def- like, deferred gratification, right, is is just delaying. And that's what we did. It's not like, uh, like, I grew up with, like, a silver spoon in my mouth. We had to work it, uh, make sure that, you know, even when whatever we did, uh, the house, like, the the house that we live in, the properties that we purchased all made sense, right? 
I, I have to say, like, um, all of my tenants had a flat screen TV. This is way back in 2008, 2009 or whatever. Or when all my tenants, when I walked into their house, this is their apartment building. They had a flat screen TV. All right. We recently just bought it. I have to say my, my girl, Courtney, uh, I bought the first flat, flat screen TV was from Walmart. I bought a Walmart. Okay. And I think I spent 500 bucks on it. So this is when she was like four or five, I think she's, she's 11 now. Okay. So 11 minus, let's say four, it was like seven years ago. Was it seven? Yeah. Probably like seven years ago is when I actually bought my first flat screen TV. All right. So first flat screen TV I bought at Walmart. She had, we went to Disney world. We bought a lightsaber. You guys know what that is? So from Star Wars, so we had this plastic lightsaber and she broke my TV, my, my brand new Walmart TV. So the next time I bought, like I had to wait a year because Jed, Jed is cheap that way because she doesn't watch TV. I watch TV, right? So I had to wait a, a year to buy another TV, okay? And then when I bought it, I go, the, the, the cashier goes or the, the tech person goes, do you want insurance on that? Yes, I want insurance, how much is that insurance? 100 bucks, no problem, I'll pay for it. 150 bucks, no problem, I'll pay for it. So mind you, if your kids ever play lightsaber close to the flat screen TV, politely, you heard the story, take it away from them and just grab it out of their hands, okay? And you heard from this guy named Casey, lightsaber and flat screen TVs don't go, to, don't go well together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're such a cool guy, Casey. It's been so, so much fun talking to you and you know, you're, you're just so humble, which is amazing. And honestly, uh, but you know, Jose and I are always inspired by you guys and just how much you've done. And we really admire the fact that, you know, you've, you've had the courage to, to do this much and move this far in your, in your real estate journey. And I think we're all excited to see what, you know, you guys do next. Yeah. So, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us today to talk. Uh, you're so, you know, you're so easy to, to talk to and you have so much, so many cool things to share. So I think our viewers will really enjoy the conversation. Nice. Or I ramble a lot. So, <laughs> <laughs> so just quickly before we go, could you uh, tell us if people want to reach you uh, to reach out, to get either information about uh, your projects and investing or to just reach out if they have any questions, what's the best way to sort of uh, get in touch? Yeah. Just go to our website, uh, kakoli.com, which is C-A-C-O-E-L-I.com, which is uh, the names of our kids. C-A is Caitlin, Courtney is C-O, and then E-L-I is Elijah. And number four is like, we just left her off. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just uh, go there. Um, we do have uh, an investor relations uh, department, um, but Jed will also uh, uh, be in that picture as well. So if they ever have any kind of questions, I, I don't do any coaching. Uh, I'm just going to put it out there. So no coaching. Uh, um, no mentorship or anything like that. I just don't have the time for it. Um, but you can, uh, always, you know, on all these podcasts or, um, Instagram, they can follow me there. Um, yeah. Uh, our website is probably the best. Okay, perfect. We'll uh, try to link it here. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me guys. Yeah. It's, uh, it's always fun talking about real estate. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We feel the same way. So it's awesome when you meet other people who are just as passionate. So thank you so much, Casey, for your time and sharing no all your experiences. No problem. Thanks right. a lot, guys. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. 
If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.